Well, a big welcome to our nephew community, and I'm very excited about our podcast today. I hope you are also. Uh, our mission at Nephew is to improve the future outcomes for individuals with kidney disease and other related conditions. My name is Sean George, Clinical and Scientific Director with Otsuka. I will be serving as your host for today's podcast. I am very fortunate to have Dr. Brute Workinay join me today to share his expertise and provide a clinical overview of nephrolithiasis, also known as kidney stones. So Dr. Workinay is a board-certified internist and nephrologist. He is a professor in the renal section and the dialysis medical director at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. He completed medical school at the University of Texas McGovern Medical School in Houston, his residency training at UTMB, and clinical and research fellowship at Stanford University. His clinical interests over the years have included body compositional changes in CKD and transplant, home-based dialysis, and onconephrology. Dr. Workinay, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back, Sean. So I'm excited to talk about this uh, painful topic in more <laughs> ways than one. So yeah, we'll no, absolutely. We're, we're excited to have you. Um, so I think I want to start off by tackling the question that we should probably start with, right, is what is a kidney stone and how do these painful stones form? Okay, so big picture is that uh, uh, much of our audience today will have had uh, kidney stones at some point in their life, or if they haven't already, then um, approximately one in 10 will. So this thing is uh, extremely common. It's a common um, uh, condition. And essentially, it's in the name. It's uh, essentially a stone or a crystal uh, that uh, forms in the kidney. And uh, often, it, when it forms, it's asymptomatic. And uh, when it is symptomatic, uh, you'll know, <laughs> in short. Um, it's uh, extremely painful as the stone passes from the, the kidney uh, down through the, um, uh, to the bladder and uh, to the, uh, out to the uh, free world. And so uh, we'll get more into that, but essentially it is a, a, a condition where um, minerals combine into crystals and, and, and uh, what appears like stones where the name comes from. Um, and causes problems, especially if uh, it blocks the flow of urine and, um, and it can result in um, acute kidney injury, infections, uh, uh, other complications we can uh, also talk about. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not just passing the stone. There, there can be other complications that come along with it. And most mm -hmm. people say this is, you know, it is a urological condition. Mm -hmm. um, the urologists manage it but nephrologists are involved too, right? So tell me a little bit about how nephrologists kind of get involved in the diagnosis of, of kidney stones and, and where nephrologists pay, play a role in it as opposed to a urologist. Of course, of course. During a, a, an acute episode, certainly the urologists are the superstars. They're the ones uh, uh, who come in and, uh, and, uh, and do the procedures to remove the stones, uh, which we'll talk about. Um, uh, but uh, certainly the nephrologist is um, involved in preventing another stone. And so one of the biggest risk factors of having a, a kidney stone is that you've had one before. So talk to anyone um, with, who's had a kidney stone, trust me, they'll tell you, I don't want to ever have one again. And so you have very motivated patients 
is the easiest patients to to have in <laughs> clinic. You know, right. you know, I'm trying to control someone's blood pressure. Hey, you got to avoid, you know, going out fast food, this and that. It's, 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 you know, hit or miss. Some patients yeah. are yeah, motivated, some aren't, but uh, you, yeah, like 99.99% of uh, patients uh, who've had a kidney stone certainly don't want to have another one. Uh, and so they'll do anything you, um, you suggest. And so, um, so that's where the nephrologist comes into, into play is in, in the prevention of recurrent stones. Um, and uh, it, they could come into play if there are complications, uh, certainly infections, acute kidney injury. Um, you know, if, if, if the stone is complicated, that just means that there's um, uh, some things that are happening systemically and the patient requires hospitalization, then the uh, nephrologist can, um, can be, uh, become involved. So a yeah. little bit of, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's great information. And, you know, well, we... You know, we know some things about kidney stones. Uh, calcium oxalate is kind of the most common mm-hmm. form of stone that's produced. Uh, there are other types of stones, right? It's not just uh, just the calcium oxalate uh, stones. There are other types of stones as well. So can you tell us a little bit about these different types of stones and, and maybe how their clinical presentations may look different, if, if at all? Yeah, I might have a, a story for you here that might get me in a little bit of trouble, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> We can always edit it out if uh, yeah. if it doesn't work. Uh, so no worries. <laughs> so anyway, uh, uh, like I mentioned, you know, uh, uh, as far as uh, the incidence of stones, it's a little bit more prevalent in men than in women. Uh, it's around, you know, like I said, around ten to twelve percent overall. Um, uh, maybe nine uh, percent in women, eight to nine, and uh, maybe eleven to twelve in in men. Um, and so it's more common in men. Um, and, uh, the, uh, when it occurs is typically in summertime. Can you guess why in the summer? Well, people get dehydrated. They're not drinking enough water. There you go. That's pretty much it. And so, um, so these stones obviously can are forming because of whatever you're eating, uh, some of the various causes of, um, uh, the stones, which I'll also talk about briefly. Um, uh, but, uh, the, when it presents is typically when you're volume depleted, you're not getting much flow in the, in the kidney and, and you're producing, um, you know, relatively, uh, lower amount of urine that's concentrated. And remember what I said about these minerals having an opportunity to combine, right. And get bigger the, where the stones can, uh, continue to propagate and, uh, and also become loose and, uh, cause major problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so that's how it presents. It presents as soon as it breaks off. You don't feel the, the kidney stone forming. You don't, uh, really feel it until it leaves the, the renal pelvis. That's the part of the kidney, uh, where there's a collecting system, which coalesces into the renal pelvis. And once it hits, uh, uh, a, uh, tube, um, I think we have sophisticated listeners. Uh, so there's between the kidney and the bladder, there's a tube uh, called the ureter uh, that, uh, that uh, uh, essentially is a conduit for urine. And as soon as it enters the, the ureter, that's when the, the ouch starts. That's when the, the real pain uh, really begins. And these are, uh, you know, stones probably don't do it justice. Uh, these are um, very jagged stones, like crystals that just kind of scratch scratch Um, the tissues on the way down creates a lot of spasm a lot of pain a lot of colicky pain the kidney is saying hey what's going on we can't 
we can't uh, uh, eliminate the urine. So it tries to kind of squeeze and, and push the and push the um, the stone through, um, and uh, and so that that uh, essentially balloons the kidney. So you can have like back aches, and and as it comes down, it, it scratches your tissues, um, uh, you know, the layers inside of the uh, ureter, and so you can start bleeding. Um, and wow. if urine it sits there, then that can invite infections, and uh, and then uh, and then it can get really serious where you have, um, especially if it's on both sides. That's extremely rare for a kidney stone, but some patients with high burdens of disease uh, they can have bilateral stones. Uh, but uh, most of the time, it's just on one side. Uh, but uh, depending on the previous renal function, et cetera, you can you can see. Um, acute kidney injury as well. And so um, uh, it can get really ugly, really fast. And um, like you mentioned, you know, like I mentioned, the uh, incidence is so high, there's no way uh, that, uh, that just a urologist alone need to know about this. I think this is something that um, the general public should know because um, roughly 10% are going to be at risk more than that. Um, it's something that internists should know anyone in the ER <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and 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 husbands and wives should know as well. So um, so interestingly, this is the the story I was I was referencing earlier uh, when I was a a, a nephrology fellow uh, out out at us uh, in the Bay Area. Um, I was on call. It's like three a.m. in the morning. My wife calls me. I'm like you know really busy, and uh, and so um, it's the middle of the night. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best trying to take care of, you know, all these patients. And my wife calls me. It's like, what is she calling me for? And so, um, and it's way back in like 2005. So I, I call her, I call her back and, and she's just crying over the phone. And I'm like, why are you crying? You know, you're, you're stressing me out because I got uh, all this stress to see all these patients. And, and then you're, you're calling me and telling me something's going on. I mean, I, obviously I was concerned. I don't want to paint it. We're still married, by the way. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, I, but I was like extremely like, what's going on? Because I know her to be extremely healthy, much healthier than I was or am. And, uh, and so she uh, says that, hey, I'm in all this pain, et cetera. I'm like, just take some pain medicine, just relax, I'll be home soon. And so uh, it got so bad where she called uh, like two, three more times. I just said, hey, you know, I dropped everything, um, signed out all my patients and then uh, rushed home. And, uh, and so I was looking at her and I was like, you know, what could be going on? Cause you know, she didn't have any fevers, nothing. She was just kind of writhing in pain. Yeah. And, and remind you this, I'm a nephrology fellow. And I'm like, what could it be? What could it be? This, this <laughs> yeah. back pain that's radiating down. <laughs> yeah, when it's your, when it's your family, you kind of, uh, forget all the medical information that that's in your brain. Right? Absolutely. It's like, like, yeah. Yeah. I would have never thought in a million years, I've, you know, stones were completely, you know, foreign to me. I was, I mean, in, within my family. Yeah. And so, um, and so, uh, you know, I said, Hey, just take some pain medicine, sleep it off. And, uh, then, uh, she grabbed her phone and threatened to call 911. And I was uh, like, okay, okay, okay. Don't call 911. So I took her to the ER and yeah. uh, then it just dawned on me that, you know, this could be a kidney stone. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, so it can present quite dramatically. And, you know, there's this, uh, 
And I think you you were hinting at it that, you know, when you pass a kidney stone, it's one of the worst pains in the world. And so yeah. I can personally, not personally, but I can, my <laughs> wife, by yeah. via my wife, I can testify that that's certainly the case because uh, it's completely out of character for her to complain like that. And even when we're in the ER, and this will get into a little bit of the management. So, yeah. um, so we'll, you know, they started some ideas. Yeah, no, I think that's a great story. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's a good point is... Uh, as a clinician, which is, you know, our audience here, that's, they're primarily uh, all clinicians or healthcare providers, mm -hmm. you know, they recognizing the symptoms, right? I mean, sometimes it's not real obvious. It could be a lot of different things. It could be abdominal pain, back pain, you know, uh, just uh, pain uh, in other places. It's just, it, it could be so many different things that go through your mind as far as the differential goes, right? Um, so, um, Absolutely. It's actually, so, it's actually a good segue yeah. into you take the patient to the ER, you took your wife to the ER. So mm -hmm. as far as diagnosis goes, like, what did that look like? Well, how did, how was the diagnosis made? So the diagnosis can really be made by uh, taking a, a good history. Mm -hmm. In other words, listening to your screaming patient. And, uh, and so if you have back pain, uh, that's colicky, that is, uh, you know, constant. And, you know, you also have to consider comorbidities, like what else could it be? And so you have to have, you know, a good differential, go through your systems, you know, is it vascular? Is it, you know, could it be, um, you know, um, it, you know, something related to uh, the gut? Uh, could it be, uh, what else is in that area, right? And so uh, is it left side or right side? What other organs are there? Um, and uh, eventually, um, yeah, you know, you'll arrive at the um, at the his, at the diagnosis just simply by listening to the patient. I think if I listened to my wife, I should have been able to figure out it was a stone. So that's yeah. first thing. Second is uh, you know doing an exam, and so certainly if you uh, try to palpate even gently, the patient is going to really you know you have to duck. You know they might they might, yeah. they might be upset um, if you are uh, too vigorous with your palpation, and then um, and then looking at the urine, you're going to see you know remember what I said. It starts passing through your um, your urine and uh, and and essentially the plumbing of uh, your kidneys and, and that's going to cause you know blood to show up in the urine so you might see inflammatory cells you might see blood uh, yeah. in the urine um, and then uh, the the uh, mainstay of diagnosis is uh, going to be um, you know traditionally in the past they've done kubs that's just basically an x-ray yeah. um, and so you can see radio opaque stones so the calcium anything that contains calcium might miss some other kind of stones like uric acid um, but um, um, but i think uh, most er's end up using ct so non-contrasted um, cat scans of uh, the abdomen uh, and pelvis uh, to look for stones um, and so um, that's essentially the way uh, it's diagnosed. You can also use ultrasound. So ultrasound uh, will show uh, the shadowing caused by the stone and where the level of uh, the obstruction is. And also if there's um, if there is uh, something called hydronephrosis, which is like water in the inside of the kidney, just means that the urine is building up on the inside, creating back uh, pressure. And so I didn't, I'm not going to ignore your your previous question, which was, well, yeah. what kind of stones are there? I just hinted that uh, perhaps, uh, uh, depending on the modality of um, uh, that, you might miss some diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So certainly there are calcium containing uh, stones and those are the most common. So calcium oxalate, that's roughly 80% or so 
um, of, of the stones. Uh, you can also see uh, calcium phosphate stones. That's not so common. Uh, and then uh, mixed stones. So mixed is essentially a little bit of all the various kinds of stones. Um, like it could be oxalate phosphate, maybe a little bit of uric acid. Um, and so, um, and then you have your um, other kind of stones, uh, um, which are uh, genetic, like uh, cysteine stones. Um, and, uh, and also um, you can see uh, infection stones. So I call them infection stones because uh, primarily they're struvite stones. Struvite stones, yeah, that's yep. what I was gonna say. Those are those are typically the bigger stones, more painful, right? Uh -huh. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and you know, uh, as I mentioned, the uh, rate of uh, uh, kidney stones are a little higher in men than in women. This is um, reversed in struvite stones. You know, yeah. so patients who get recurrent urinary tract infections, et cetera, because of the, the shorter urethral tract, et cetera, uh, women are a little bit more prone to developing uh, UTIs and recurrent UTIs. And so if you uh, have a uh, organism that splits urea uh, and produces this alkaline urine, then uh, you can have uh, these uh, minerals that just basically combine. They're essentially triple uh, pho uh, phosphate stones or magnesium, ammonium, and phosphate together. Uh, they form um, this material called struvite. And there's other, um, uh, uh, you know, other minerals that also can combine and form calcium, apatite, and, and some other uh, forms. But the most common are going to be the magnesium, ammonium, and phosphate together. And as yeah. far as causes, you know, these are the, the ones on the board exams. Uh, your nursing boards or your medical board exams is going to be Klebsiella, Proteus. Uh, but we're seeing more E. coli and Enterococcus now um, uh, as far as causes of struvite stones. And wow. then um, and then another category is going to be drug stones. So drugs that you consume or a lot of our patients consume um, like uh, retrovirals, antiretrovirals, um, uh, they can form stones. Wow. You know, so essentially the same principle where there's high concentration in the blood, urine filters it. And then, you know, if if uh, the urine is concentrated uh, in this in a certain uh, milieu, then uh, it can actually combine and form crystals or stones, and also present as uh, you know any other kind of stone. And so that's another um, another um, cause or something to keep in mind as far as your differential. No, that's great. That's that's wonderful information, especially for our for HCPs that are listening. Mm -hmm. Uh, just to kind of give a rundown of the, or the breakdown of, you know, the different types of stones and what kind of causes there are mm -hmm. um, for these types of stones. So um, there are some disease states that are more prone to kidney stones. Um, mm -hmm. And one of them is ADPKD, autosomal mm -hmm. dominant polycystic kidney disease. So can you talk a little bit about why this population of patients are more prone to kidney stones than the general population? Absolutely. So ADPKD uh, is uh, is um, certainly um, uh, it's it's considered a rare disease. It uh, affects maybe uh, one in one thousand uh, individuals, um, but uh, also it's an important cause of of, uh, of renal failure. Patients on dialysis it, uh, comprises uh, roughly five percent, um, and so uh, we just discussed how common kidney stones are, um, and so they're not immune. 
to developing kidney stones, um, but the rates are significantly higher in this population, up to 25% of patients with ADPKD will have um, symptomatic stones. Wow. And so if you remember um, in this condition, you have cysts that form and, and, and it really distorts the, the, the kidney's architecture. And, uh, and so they're already dealing with very large kidneys, uh, uh, cysts that get infected or pop or bleed. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, in addition to this chronic pain, um, because of the, the blockage in certain parts of the kidney, there might be slower urine flow in certain parts. And that's where some of these uh, uh, stones can begin to develop in the caliceal system. Um, and, uh, and so it becomes a challenge when you try to manage this, these patients, you know, there's a lot of options that, um, that uh, uh, are um, available in patients with basically uh, normal kidneys, for lack of a better term, yeah. um, uh, you know, without these large cysts in the way. Uh, and so your treatment options are going to be limited because you, it's hard to do um, any um, surgeries or shock waves without damaging the, the cysts and causing more problems. And so um, it's extremely challenging. Number one, they have a higher rate of developing stones, uh, higher incidence. Um, and, uh, and then secondly, um, uh, as far as managing these patients is extremely difficult. And, you know, they're also at risk for uh, complicated stones uh, where, uh, like I mentioned, you can develop infections and other things that, you know, starts off with a stone, but then becomes um, systemic, you know, where you can get ascending infections. Um, and so, um, so those are the two points for patients with um, ADPKD. Yeah. That, yeah. That yeah. I, I mean, there's important. several metabolic factors that are involved in even the, the cysts grow and, and cause urinary stasis as well, right? Mm -hmm. That could cause these stones to develop. So absolutely. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as far as treatment goes, which is kind of the next step of our conversation here and, and final step, actually, um, you know, what are the treatment options? And, you know, we talked about the ADPKD patient population is mm -hmm. what is the treatment uh, will treatment options look different for ADPKD patients versus the general population, or is it the same? And what are they? Okay, so for any patient, um, you have to look at the root cause. And so, what are the root causes for, let's say, calcium stones or um, or, or you know, uric acid stones? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you have to uh, have a, a essentially a good differential for hypercalciuria. So anything that causes high levels of calcium in the urine, um, you have to wonder, well, what's going on here? You know, does a patient have hyperparathyroidism? Is a patient, frankly, hypercalcemic? And so you have to go through your differential for hypercalcemia, sarcoid immobility, so on and so forth, excessive vitamin D or calcium. Um, you don't be very surprised what people do. Um, and so over-the-counter drugs are not benign. And so you have to take a good history. Um, and, uh, but um, a lot of times it's going to be idiopathic, you know, it's just, well, I, you know, for whatever reason, my body puts a lot of calcium in the urine. So it's idiopathic. Yeah. And so you have to take uh, also a good family history because the stones run in families, right? So that's the idiopathic nature of hypercalciuria. If they have uh, high uric acid, if they have gout or hyperuricemia, then then you know that's another. Uh, you can modify that with with diet and uh, with certain medications. 
Uh, if it's genetic, there's a medication for that as well. If you have recurrent stones, well, okay, let's address that. Uh, we might need to uh, do some surgery to remove the stones, especially these large uh, stones or staghorn calculi that essentially look like a cast of the kidney, then let's deal with that. Or if it's a drug stone, well, let's, we'll stop this IV, this and that. And so, um, and, uh, and so you would have to, um, the, my advice is to uh, certainly um, consider and pause. You have the problem right in front of you, you know, you're dealing with your, your patient, but take the time to go through a, a good differential once you've relieved the patient's pain. What, what, what could be the root cause and let's address that. Um, and so that would be the, uh, the first, you know, in terms of um, dealing with the root cause and managing the patient long-term that's the, the best way to go about it. Um, now dealing with um, your patient in front of you who's writhing in pain, the first thing to do is to ensure that you, um, you know, hydrate the patient. So if the patient yeah. can drink, go ahead and have them drink. Um, a lot of these stones, especially if the stone is less than uh, five millimeters or, you know, this is kind of a judgment call. Um, you know, you kind of look at your patient, can they manage as an outpatient? So a lot of these patients will be turned home. They'll give uh, the patient a strainer and tell them to, uh, um, uh, to drink as much as possible. But if they're nauseated, for example, that's another symptom, nausea, vomiting, if they're febrile or, you know, things look serious or there's a suspicion of infection or any kidney injury, then at that point, uh, you'd probably want to keep the patient in the ER or whatever hospital setting and, uh, and then start some IV fluids. So you want to start IV crystalloid. So you want to give saline. And, yeah. uh, and so what this does is increase the urine volume. Um, and uh, when that happens, uh, it just this essentially you're building up pressure behind the stone so that you can push it down uh, the tract, the urinary yeah. tract. Um, and uh, that, remember, causes a lot of inflammation, a lot of swelling. And so you want to give uh, anti-inflammatory agent. So there's some oral or IV um, uh, anti-inflammatories that are often given. Um, and then remember you're uh, uh, going down this very, very thin diameter tube. Um, and so you want to be able to relax that muscle, the smooth muscle inside of that, the, those ureters. And so you can give an alpha blocker. There are various ones that you can look up um, yeah. and, then, and then certainly manage the pain. Uh, and so uh, I was, you know, this is like hall of shame in terms of, of, of um, uh, you know, in, in the annals of, of being a husband in my personal history. I, uh, I, I was chiding my wife for asking for pain medicines. I was like, they're going to think you're drug seeking, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm still married to her. Yeah. So I had to do so many things. You're lucky. You're lucky. Make up for that. <laughs> yeah. You're lucky. <laughs> so, so yeah, certainly what it's extremely painful. So just, yeah. you know, your patients aren't, aren't making it up in other words. And so, and I know my wife wasn't making it up. And so we made sure that, uh, her pain was managed all right and then uh and then you give it some time but if the if if, if the idea is that the pain is is just not being controlled if there are complications or uh uh it doesn't look like you know uh, there there's any progress being made or if the stone is um by ct or some other measure uh, um, 
deemed unlikely to pass on its own, then that's where uh, the, the urologists come into play. The, the knights in shining armor, they come in and they say, I think we can go uh, uh, fish this out. Yeah. And so there's a, a procedure called uteroscopy. And, okay. uh, and so that's where they uh, go in with the camera through the urethra, they look in the bladder, then they go up the uh, ureters and, and, uh, and so they can break up uh, the stones using laser, laser lithotripsy. So uh, yeah. they can, they can, you know, essentially play asteroid um, and blow up the, these, uh, these stones and they can um, either fragment it and, and basket it and, and, you know, basically catch it and then, and then, you know, bring it out or they can um, uh, dust it. And that just means they can pulverize the stone. And yeah. so there's no need for, um, uh, for, uh, uh, you know, in a lot of the cases, a, a need for a follow-up stent. So anytime you have one of these procedures, you know, the, the ureters are inflamed and, and, you know, we want to make sure that the remaining fragments can pass without causing pain and making sure that the, the kidney is going to have good urine flow. And so some stents are placed. And gotcha. so, um, and that's not a popular thing with patients. Uh, so all of this discussion, this back and forth, you know, uh, yeah. whether we do uteroscopy, um, you know, do we do fragmenting, dusting, et cetera, that's all within the realm of the uh, urologist. And so, um, right. and, and, and so this is a, a, some uh, information I think that the public can have so that they can have intelligent conversations with the urologist in terms of, um, you know, potential management. Yeah. Um, so... In addition to uteroscopy, um, there's something called percutaneous nephrolithotomy, so PCNL. And yeah. so, so this is different. This is, remember, even though it's considered a procedure or surgery of, of sorts, the uteroscopy, uh, and often there's general anesthesia required, uh, the PCNL, you actually cut through the skin. So percutaneous means through the skin, you go through one of the calyces, and so uh, the uh, using cameras and uh, other devices, uh, the uh, urologist can remove the stones. Um, and so uh, these are essentially reserved for really large stones. Uh, and and so uh, the pros and cons and the specific risks, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the risks are individual risks. Uh, the patients on blood thinners or the, you know, is the anatomy of the kidney. Does a patient have PKD, PKD, for example? Yeah. Um, this wouldn't be an option, right? And so, um, so um, you would have to talk to the provider or the urologist about uh, the various approaches to managing the, uh, the kidney stone. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great information. I think we covered a lot today. You know, mm -hmm. we, we tackled uh, what kidney stones are, the couple clinical presentations, specifically in ADPKD in that population of patients, mm -hmm. and how to diagnose and also treating um, these kidney stones. So I think we did cover a lot. And I really appreciate uh, the information you've given us today, Dr. Workin A. Thank you so much. So, well, you're certainly uh, welcome. And uh, this was, uh, again, very fun and uh, hopefully informative for our audience. Before I close out, any final comments from you? Um, listen to your wife. Uh, no, uh, listen to your <laughs> I love patients. It. I love it. T take uh, good history and uh, recognize the pattern. 
yeah. and there's a certain pattern of inj- of of uh, uh, how kidney stones present. And so, uh, just by listening to your patient, you can at least get uh, an idea that this might be stones. And uh, and then we just reviewed um, essentially how you diagnose it and um, how to deal with some causes and and manage it long term so you don't ever get a stone again. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well. Thanks again, Dr. Workenay, for joining us today and providing this clinical overview of nephrolithiasis. I also want to thank the NEPHEW community for joining in today, and I encourage you to please check out nephew.org for future webinars, podcasts, and events. You can also check us out on our social media platforms using the handle at NEPHEW community. Um, thanks again, and we look forward to seeing you next time here on NEPHEW. <laughs>